Dogs, swab the decks and hoist the sails. The guns on board be needed some proper manning. Pieces of eight and a fine wench on your arm. If you work, be not too shoddy. Careful not to flounder too badly, though, or you may have to dance the hip and jig. As we see you to Davy Jones, the Jeffy, my boy, on with the show. Vast mihades. To our listeners from across all regions of the planet, welcome once again aboard the Robin Hood, flagship to the world's one and only cooperatively inspired charity podcast network, WPRPN. Live streaming today from just off the sparkling shores of South Korea's paranormal peninsula, You've tuned in to episode 107 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. I'm your host, as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Hailing from the Netherlands, Robert Vandenbroek is this week's featured guest. Best known for his reported psychic mediumship abilities and reputation within the worlds of both Crop Circle and UFOlogical studies, Vandenbroek is no stranger to claims of the extraordinary. From the stories of his peculiar childhood to an overnight rise to fame as a paranormal Dutch TV celebrity, will Robert's methods and alleged proofs of the miraculous be enough, however, to convince all skeptics? One individual who holds little doubt as to Robert's authenticity is his UK-based booking agent, Johnny Webb. We'll get a chance to hear Johnny's unique insights and perspective on his Dutch colleague's life when he joins us via London for the second half of this week's live web stream. By the looks of things, we'll squeeze Johnny in or welcome him onto the decks of the Robin Hood this week here, the first half of the show. Bit of a roundtable format is what we're looking at here, folks. Our featured guest, Robert Vandenbroek, has cancelled, um, I guess not quite illness per se, so much as perhaps not really feeling the vibe or in the zone, as it were. So that's fine. We've managed to make the most of things here and improvise and have assembled uh, quite a motley crew of conversationalists and guests to fill his place, including Johnny Webb from out of London, England, Robert Morningstar once again via New York, New York, and Kaiser Schuff out of the beautiful state of Ohio, USA. Gentlemen, uh, do we have each of you standing by at the ready? Good evening. Jaffe, Johnny in London. Morning, Star in New York. Excellent. Yes. And Kaiser? Aye. <laughs> okay, that's great that we've got everyone uh, connected. And hopefully with Robert, of course, this week, better um, 
sound quality overall than what we had to contend with there a few weeks ago. Another just brief note, three bobs in a row, the holy trifecta. It's interesting how this one is playing out here. Regular listeners to the show, of course, will remember that a couple of weeks ago we kicked things off with Robert Morningstar, followed up just last week with Robert Homrich, and now this week Robert Vandenbroek. Didn't really realize that we had booked things in that fashion just uh, actually last week. So interesting how things work out. What's the deal exactly then, Johnny? Uh, What's uh, your uh, understanding? He's not quite ill, but at the same time, really just not uh, exactly feeling it either. Uh, Yeah, Robert suffers with uh, OCD and also depression. So um, imagine losing your girlfriend or something similar to that and then having a feeling of hearing her name being mentioned or something that familiarizes you with the scenario and your stomach goes over. Well, he gets that on a continuous basis. So he feels a bit down. That makes him feel uncomfortable. Um, when it comes to doing live shows, um, you know, he can do it, but he feels at this point in time he doesn't fancy it. Not that he doesn't want to come on and express what happens with him and what he shares. But purely the fact he's depressed, and I understand that. And so I said I'd stand in for him and just say what happened to myself and my experience when I went to witness it for myself last week. Yeah, he sent actually a voice message via Facebook. So it sounds like he's up for doing a show. It's just that we're going to have to reschedule. Sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you there, Jeffy, but Go I just ahead. noticed there's a photo you've put up there of Robert Vandenbroek looking rather old and. That's done, um, my understanding, with a tool someone had used to use uh, like a phone app that allows you to increase your age and things like that. So that particular image was him with that tool being used. Yeah, we've got a whole mix of photos there that we picked up off of uh, not just only Facebook, of course, but just the general World Wide Web. So that's interesting. Was that meant as a joke or a lark or was somebody just mean-spirited or I, I'm not sure what was the whole point of, of doing that, playing around with the app? I couldn't tell you. I think it was just someone that put a post up there, reposted, possibly in, in the light of fun, I suppose. All right. Uh, and just briefly then, Kaiser, I it's interesting how, speaking of uh, premonitions and potential ESP intuitive skills, I had mentioned to you just a couple days ago how I had a gut feeling as well that things were not going to exactly play out in the way that we had hopefully intended. Isn't that something that uh, this kind of this prediction proves to have now come to fruition? What exactly was it that I said uh, once again, James? I, I remember you were like, I have a feeling something's going to happen. And I have no, uh, this was days before and johnny can chime in afterwards and tell you when i did this and it was the day uh before i sent him a message saying we're really looking forward to having you on and uh you know give me a call i mean you know no or whatever on skype and it, it really blew me away when you know it happened today and i was like wow so you said you you said a matter of fact you had a gut feeling that something was going to go awry so that is the truth Something along those lines, pretty much, yeah, just, I'm not sure what it was. Something in the air or the ether sort of leading my mind in that direction. Uh, and it does happen from time to time with, with certain guests. So it doesn't always bear fruit or come to, I guess, once again, fruition in the sense of uh, the prediction 
hits and misses is what they call it the world of magic and uh, mentalism which really it's a form of uh, kind of stage magic parlor magic more than the ritual end of things so uh, but we could talk a little bit more about that later as things go on here. Let's not forget about our third fellow companion and uh, seafaring traveler here, Robert Morningstar, who's back in the house this week with us again. It's great that you uh, dropped by, Robert. Uh, always good to see and, and talk with you. Thank you very much. Great to be aboard. Hopefully we have a better connection than what we did a couple weeks ago. You still think that it might have had something to do with AI and these archons, mm. potentially? AI or interference from local yokels in uh, your area in particular, you know, who monitor such transmissions. We were talking about some very sensitive stuff uh, regarding North Korea and South Korea. But be that as it may, it's come out very good. Because our recordings, my recording is excellent. And uh, people will get to hear it. I, I hope that uh, you'll take the audio and perhaps uh, rebroadcast it to, to the audience. To stay uh, focused on tonight's subject, sure. it's sad that he can't be with you, but I know Robert very well. And I've been helping Johnny and Robert get uh, their message out because I do believe his uh, paranormal powers are real. For example, he was on my show and I called him up to thank him. And during the course of that conversation, he got in contact with my deceased mother, and he described her in very great detail. And then he described her possessions in very great detail. And I thought, you know, that's pretty good, you know. But, you know, it could still be some him reading me. But then he said to me, I hear your mother here, and I hear her voice. She's saying her name. Is her name Eins? And I was taken aback. Because I knew that he's Dutch and he has a funny pronunciation. And I said, what did you say? He said, is your mother's name Minnes or Eins? And I knew what I heard first, second, and third time. But I wanted to be sure. And I said, oh, what are you saying? Spell it for me, please. And he says, is it her, your mother's name? Is it something like Innes and I-N-E-S? And I said to him, Robert, you just spelled out my mother's name. It's pronounced Ines. And uh, that was even more convincing. And I have seen his uh, demonstrations of, let's call it spirit photography. And I know that he's been tested by a very accomplished scientist and uh, both electronic and mechanical technician named Dan Drazen, who wrote a report about it, who experienced these things that we're going to discuss tonight. And so I've been privy to Johnny's adventure from the time he left home through the whole of experience and the video that he sent from holland of the ufo floating 40 feet above the rooftop uh, is uh, remarkable so i'm here to to say i believe in johnny webb and uh and robert van der Broek's work there's something i have to concur with you on there robert johnny called me up from robert's uh place right and the interesting thing that i noted was that uh Robert was very forthright. He showed me all of his stuff. He showed me Johnny was holding a camera up that had the filmography of the vessel, the ship, and he was showing me real time that this is the window it was taken out of where Robert lives. And that was kind of wicked freaky, too. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I had the same experience. It's really great that we have this gadgetry, you know, that 
you know, we foresaw all this stuff in science fiction movies in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and now it's in hand. And it's great that Johnny was able to share that with us live from the living room and show us the site as we saw the video of the UFO. It's very impressive. And that UFO is very common. It's called a sombrero type of UFO. And it's a very small craft uh, able to maneuver in very uh, into very small spaces. And the most remarkable thing about that video is the descent of the UFO below the, the uh, roof line and below the window or up to the level of the highest window in the building. Tom Schaefer did a, an excellent uh, enhancement of it that I've seen. And that just adds to the authenticity of this video and uh, Robert's contact with some kind of extraterrestrial intelligence. I think you're right on that for that part. Yeah, I think uh, it was really fascinating that he was able. It is a blessing with technology on that. I enjoy every time I talk with Johnny, but I'm just saying that was pretty nifty. And I also thought you had a good point that maybe some of the sickness might be from him touching those frozen things. I'm not going to get into it until Johnny gets into it. But, you know, certain things may have, and they both said there was a distinct scent to it now, and that can't be good either. Johnny's in perfect health, so if if it was that, Johnny might have symptoms. But anyway, it's, he's still over there, and, and I don't know what the atmosphere is like. But I, I hope he's well and uh, recovers soon. I had the same experience. He had to cancel with me, and I was a little bit sullen because, uh, you know, I wasn't aware until the show came. Here you had some uh, warning that he wasn't well. Anyway, we got uh, the forgive and forget uh, ideals, and so we've done some marvelous shows. And I actually did do a, an hour and a half interview with him immediately after he decided to relate this story to the world. And I'm waiting to, um, to release that uh, at a later date. I haven't released it. It was not a live interview on uh, Revolution. It was a private interview. Well, that's the sound of New York City news, folks. That's not a special effect. Life on 92nd Street and Broadway. And uh, if you want to know where that is, uh, if you were able to see the targeting of uh, Russian and Chinese uh, H-bombs on New York City, the crosshairs are on 92nd Street and Broadway, right in the middle of Manhattan. Yes, so, they do. For those who don't know, Robert Vandenbroek came on our show about two years ago. We'd invited him on through Nancy Talbot that we'd had on our show the week before, talking specifically about crop circles, the phenomenon, you know, the soil samples bending of the nodes. And then she mentioned that she'd lived with Robert Vandenbroek for many years, every year, for about 20 years. And every year he predicted crop circles prior to them happening for a sensation he got of feeling drained, feeling zapped. And that feeling that him and his sister Manon, Manalong, her name was, she also got the same drained feeling. And recently in visiting, I spoke to a tenant living local to Robert who also feels that feeling and also concurred that he got the sensations of something going on that evening of the Saturday, Sunday morning. And that's when me and Robert, we'd seen a crop circle form in front of us in the middle of the night. But um, going back to what I was saying, with his sensations, he gets these feelings. I don't know how he gets them. I'm not a medium. I don't know. But he gets a feeling, sensation. It's a download of programming or just a sort of, what do they call it, a sixth sense, an inkling. But with it comes information, communication, and he knows what he's got to do and where he's got to go. If you want to see him, you know, and know when that's happening, you see his eyes roll up in his head and they'll roll up and it's a download. He's been told something. 
that just comes from hands-on living with him, spending time with him. I spent four days with him. I'd say that he was an Asperger's or something similar to that in his actions because he twitches a bit and, you know, he, he sort of uh, he mumble young cat noises. So he'll make like Teletubby noise sounds. And what I gathered was, because initially it was a bit disturbing for me. I, I wasn't used to an adult being that way unless there was sort of some symptom with them. And I couldn't find any symptoms other than that he was very childish-like. But only in his own space, you know, if, if he's comfortable with you in his space, he'll be himself. And in small times, he was very quiet and childish-like. And it just reminded me of when I'd seen videos of the Dalai Lama, not as the Dalai Lama for Robert, but as the Dalai Lama, who's very childish-like. And it just made me understand why I think they chose Robert, because Jesus used to say, come to me like a child, you know. And I think that's what he was about. He's, he's about not taking the weight of the world on in that sense, not worrying about bills and debts and all these things that others generally worry about and things. He's very childlike. He's, I wouldn't say that he's like, uh, naive, you know, like a child in a sense, but, um, he's certainly got that about him. And that sort of stood out for me in hanging out in his presence. And with the twitching, I, I pondered on it. And then I asked him, I said, why do you do that? Why do you twitch your fingers? And, pull your nose up in a twitchy fashion. And then he told me, and he said, well, what it is, John, I build up a lot of energy. I do that, and that allows me to release that external extra energy. What was the word he used? To sort of put it to bed, you know, to dismiss it, to allow it not to overcharge him in some sense or whatever. So things that we look at people, and we don't say anything. We just look at them and then maybe make an assumption on someone because of what we've seen. It's not necessarily what it is. And that's what I found also why... Just hanging out with Robert and living in his presence. He's not a guru. He's not anyone to be worshipped. He's just a regular guy. But if you ask him certain things, he'll ask what he says, the uh, the higher dimensions. And when he says the higher dimensions, he, he believes in God, but not the same in the understanding that I believed in God as a Christian. Um, he believes that God is higher than all our stars and all our constellations of our universe, of us being the only blue ball out there in the diverse universe that it is. He says there's multiple universes, there's multiple dimensions, there's multiple representations of what we call Christ and Jesus. Even on reptilian planets, he says, they have their own Christ-like being that is in its ultimate sense to evolve the true one God that is God of all our universes and all our dimensions. And he makes that clear. So he makes it certainly clearer than I understand it. But um, a lot of people take that time to sit with Robert and actually talk with him. They make assumptions of him. You know, they put him on other subjects that, you know, just really avoid really the true questions of what he's really about and what he's trying to say. I can add something from, you remember, we spent a while talking. I even talked with him and I, I can say this. There's the Japanese had, had a saying when I was stationed there that, you know, families actually like were happy when they had a child that was in America. We would either call them an autiste or an Asperger kid. What in people in my circles call autiste or a spur. That's the kind of thing he shows, but people forget. Remember who broke the Enigma code? The guy was a severe autiste. He might have even had Asperger's. And uh, just sometimes gifts, I think, are given to people. And the only adults I've met in my life, they exhibit those traits, have some gift. And I've met a lot of them. And, and those traits, they usually can focus like a laser on something or they have something they're very good at and they or they know a lot about. But the problem is their focus can't waver from it. 
And that's all I'm saying on that. But I, I did find him to be, you know, what you said, Johnny. And, I, and, I, and that's not a negative. Please don't take that that way. I think more along the lines of like the Japanese, you know, in, in that aspect. And that's all I have to say. There's nothing about that. We don't feel upset that people don't understand or don't want to understand in some cases. But um, no, he's never felt like that about what you said personally there, uh, Schiff. So let's talk a little bit then about the, uh, well, he's got a bit of a history, of course, because ever since he was a child, he's uh, had the symptoms and clearly stood out in the sense of demonstrating these uh, certain gifts of sorts, this Asperger's symptoms or autistic. Uh, historically, I think uh, he would qualify or fall into the category of what many would have referred to as a sensitive. Maybe that's something I think Robert Morningstar could flesh out a little more, perhaps. But just on top of that, yes, it's the UFO phenomenon, along with the crop circles, along with... Now, when we get into things like um, the photography, that, you know, critics have come out. I did a little research just in the lead up to the show here this week, of course, as with every show that we put together, I have to research the guests and look into their backstory a little bit. But uh, critics have made allegations of trick photography, uh, which runs along the lines of what, back in the 1970s, there was a, an American by the name of Ted Sirios, was his surname. And I recommend that everyone research and look into this man. He was quite talented obviously and gifted whether it was all just natural phenomenon or there was uh more a sleight of hand and uh, a degree uh or illusion aspect to what he was creating the phenomenon that was being manifested basically uh but same kind of deal essentially along the very similar lines thought nothing like it whatsoever thought photography okay well we'll leave that to the peanut gallery to decide but very uh i think very similar robert have you heard anything about either well sensitives of course or this business of strictly photography? ted serios i remember ted serios yeah i uh, see i was uh, involved in parapsychology throughout my life and i it set my course in college that's why i got my degree in psychology ted serios was one of those early people that were here in america and also in the soviet union who could take a camera. In Ted Sirio's case, it was more impressive because there was no chance of uh, faking the film. He was working with a Polaroid camera. And That's the, the same Russian, as Robert Vandenberg. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, but I'm saying he had the I same did. power. He could take a Polaroid camera, but he could think of something and think it and then take the picture, and the thing he thought about was on the uh, Polaroid picture one minute after he shot it. And that was one of the proofs that, and of course, with Polaroids, you remember, you can't fidget and double expose it because it was wrapped up in a roll and you have to rip it out and you have to peel it off after the um, development. So Polaroids, it's almost impossible to fake it. So he was, uh, I took him very seriously, as well as Carolian photography. But I wanted to say that in some of these pictures that Johnny has shared with us of the apparition of Art Bell, as he comes into form, the image of Art Bell, goes through a metamorphosis. And in one of those stages, he does look somewhat to me like a big, black-eyed extraterrestrial. And we know that extraterrestrials surround Robert and other people who are contactees, and they have the capacity to shapeshift. 
And it occurs to me that this also could be a manifestation of that phenomenon, shape-shifting on the part of an extraterrestrial to lure us into um, their belief system. For example, Robert says that the aliens uh, conveyed a message of benevolence and universal peace and cooperation. But at the same time, I feel that they were putting another message in him uh, that he might not be conscious of. And I don't trust extraterrestrials. Uh, again, that background noise is New York City. I don't trust extraterrestrials completely. And uh, although the phenomenon is fascinating as part of our reality, I am cautious about their intentions. They are a lot smarter than most human beings are. And we cannot let ourselves be outwitted. Well, I have something to add real quick, Jaffe. There, there's something that we used to say in the 80s and when I was working and doing what I did. You would see strange things sometimes on film. Trust me, it's even happened with me. And you're like, where did this come from? And uh, in the 80s, there was a phraseology that used to go around called, you can't fake the funk. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I was not there, but I've known... As long as I have you, Jaffe, actually, maybe a little longer, actually, uh, Johnny. And uh, it's a little different to actually see it like real time. And I wish that uh, Johnny would have gotten you online to show you the camera span and, and that video at the same time. But I'm not trying to sell you on anything. But what, I, what I'm saying is it, it was still a little different. Well, as I was there witnessing it, it came about like this, and in the afternoon, I'd said outside in the public, we're here looking at you, looking to try and bring down some UFOs into our visual. And is it possible, people that have passed on, I remember the thought of Jesus with the two ladies where he told them not to touch him because he wasn't yet formed after his three days. Um, and I said, would it be possible with like Art Bell recently passing that, you know, he wouldn't be ready to come through, you know? I said to him that it's been like, you know, nearly a couple of weeks now that he's passed. Um, and he said, oh, then the longer the better, you know, the more time he's been over there, the more time he would be in a position. I left it at that. And then when I got back in the evening, I was surfing online and I thought about it again. And I said to him, do you think you could put it to these beings, these higher dimensions, God, if Art Bell would be willing on from that side to maybe try and make a progress? You know, he's always worked on that side always talked about that side maybe he wants to come back on that side so you know i asked robert and he said he would put it to the higher dimensions and i made a video of that and i forgot all about it and then four hours later his friend stan turned up and as i said when i met him on previous shows i've explained that when i met stan he, he seemed like a medium psychic as well because i could feel him reading me you know right into my soul and he sat and he had a chat and then we were chatting away and then robert said look i feel really queasy I feel a bit giddy and Stan said, would you want to take a seat? And he said, no, no, I feel like I've got someone here. There's a man here. And this was about four o'clock in the morning. You know, this was quite late. We've been up chatting all night. We're still up. And as I say, he, he said, I feel there's a man here. And he said it specifically to me, there's a man here for you, John. And I said, really? And that made me go a bit sort of prickly, you know, because I didn't really understand, you know, when things you can't see are around you. So he said, no, he knows you, John. He, he liked you. I said, okay, so he says he's got glasses. And then for an instant, I thought of my dad. And so I said, is it my dad? And he said, no, it's not your dad. He said, it's, it's someone knows you. So I said, well, here's my camera. Let's take photos again. And so he picked up my camera and started snapping and snapping and snapping. And Stan 
was starting to video on his camera, Robert with my camera snapping and snapping. And I grabbed another camera and was trying to film the two of them with the two cameras. And so we went into the hallway where a lot of phenomenon has taken place in Robert's house over the years. And it, it looks on, on a scene of looking back at his front door in a, in a sort of corridor hallway. And so we were snapping. He was snapping away, and Stan was behind his shoulder filming him snapping away on my on my own phone camera. It was a Samsung Galaxy Edge Seven, so you can check the details of the photos. And anyway, so snap, snap, snap. About fifteen snaps in, something comes up, and he's snapping and snapping. And then he rolls back and looks, and there's what looks to me like Art Bell. Initially, the first picture was a bit blurry, but um, I didn't know who it was. It looked like someone who'd interviewed me from a Canadian paranormal channel the day before and uh it wasn't him because the next picture was clearly it was art bell and then the third one was art bell and then the fourth one was art bell but a stranger looking and i think robert morningstar mentioned that it's got that sort of alien look about it and that did occur to me i did have that premise that at that point maybe that wasn't the art bell that was in the first three photos and certainly in the last photo because there was a metamorphosis into a sort of character that looked like it had a mask on in a sense but again it was still phenomenal it was still typical of what robert vandenbrook was used to doing and what i'd used to see in all of his uploads and videos and facebook and all of these you know robertvandenbrook.com pages there's all this phenomenon that's there and it was exactly the same it was almost like two photos of the same being but not in a sense of so much someone moving away and then you get that tracking or blur vision it's literally like two snaps of a close-up and a far-away sort of image in a lot of these photos. And that, to me, was like, you know, what was typically happening here. But two particular photographs, I remember talking about it and saying, because for me, I'd, what I'd done is I'd personally asked Jesus, my Savior, my way to the Lord, and I'd asked him in my own prayers and thoughts and in asking, some days and literally some months before about all of this, about this phenomenon, about working in, you know, UFOs and aliens and abductions and, you know, these sort of sightings and things, things that I've witnessed myself. I've never seen a UFO. I've seen orbs. I've seen strange phenomena and ghosts, but I've never seen an alien or a UFO until the picture I saw the other day taken by Robert on my camera, which clearly shows a little gray. Whether he's a Zeta, I don't know, but he looks a gray. One thing that had always been on my mind, knowing that I may well be confronting with aliens and demons or whatever one wants to call these beings, I don't believe there's so much demons anymore. What I feel is, is like I say, people in my years of studying and listening to people's experiences would always say that, you know, in most cases, these little greys come out the walls, the windows, under the floor, and they come right up to me, and then they look me in the eye, and I'm paralyzed. And I feel this feeling of no empathy. There's no emotion. There's nothing to represent that they care. They're just cold. And I felt none of that whilst I lived and spent time with Robert Vandenbroek. With any of these beings and creatures that appeared on the cameras that I have, they didn't look menacing. They didn't look evil. They didn't look demonic. They looked like they had souls to me. They looked like they had essence. They were real. And in the eyes of the particular ET, you can see the eye. You don't see a cold, black, dark membrane of nothingness. You see features. You see character. And in both of the two phenomenons of creatures that Robert called you know, the last one with the red faces, they both looked like they had empathy. They looked like they had spirit and soul and understanding and communication. And that was just through photographs. It depends how one perceives it, I suppose, when you're outside looking in. But I was there, and that was happening in front of me. And whilst photos were being 
shown to me from Robert. He was also telling me one particular creature knows you, John. She's known you for many lives, for many dimensions. So again, for me, it was all new phenomenon to me. I didn't know about previous lives or other dimensional timeline parallel lives. Didn't know about all that. I still don't fully understand that. But um, these things were being mentioned whilst these things were going on. So for me, it was going there to bear witness to an incident that had happened to Robert three years ago, which he says while driving out one evening on his push bike. At the time, he's now got a motorbike or moped. Three years ago, he was driving in the evening, saw this white light in the sky, followed it, and it caught him into a field, which was the field that I was there to examine and test and see what had happened. And when I got there in my own time, there was no crop circle. I filmed the whole field. I went into the field. I went to the rough area where he told me the event had happened to him, where these two tentacled beings had come down and telepathically spoke with him, made peace with him, where he says even out of his fear for his OCD, was worried about their biotopes, worried about the smell, the fishy smell that they had. The sea smell was a clear word he told me. And with that event, they telepathically talked to him. And he said he got a God sense that said, look, don't be afraid, Robert. I've made all things, even things humans have yet to understand. So don't be afraid, Robert. And he put his hand out and they shook his hand with a tentacle. Now, this is Robert's story. So it needs verification and testifying and truth and inspection. And no one's done it. He made a video. We told him you know, a few months ago, make a video of what happened and what you've done. And he'd done that and no one's come back. I put it to MUFON, I put it to Linda Moulton Howe, put it to a few people, but no one's come back. They just come back with more questions rather than any help or, you know, wanting to understand it more. When you talked to me, I did mention how to do it. Remember, if you remember right, because you were afraid that they'd out of hand be afraid or they wouldn't want to test it or whatever, right? And I said, the easy plan is just like we have in America. And they have it in Europe, too, where you have a tornado, right? Tornadic activity. And he lives near, you know, an ocean, whatever, or he was out by an ocean. An hour and a half from the ocean, which is yeah, just a bit awkward. No, 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 it's not. There's a lot of people that drive an hour and a half to go to an ocean. I, I live nine hours to the closest ocean, and I drive to it commonly. But what I'm saying is, what you would do is uh, you just say it was from a water spout. And you're just wondering what kind of uh, aquatic life it is. And then if it comes back with DNA that they don't know, remember when I talked to you about this? You already have it. They've done the test. And I, I'm still trying to find you a hookup in Europe, bro. I, I didn't forget about that, even though my I've had two deaths in my family now. So uh, it, anyways, it, it's life, brother. But like I said, if you want to get around that and not have to worry about them dismissing it out of hand, just... It was a water spout. I saw it. Tornadic activity in the water, and it does suck up aquatic life. And um, you just put that cover in on it, and they'll test it. Just, you know, they'll think, oh, this guy's got, you know, he wants this tested for this. Sure, we'll figure out what kind of squid or octopus it is. Let them believe what the hell they want. But look for the results. That's what's important. Dropping anchor in port for lusty tales of adventure. It's episode 107 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. Welcome, everybody. Roundtable format this week. Our featured guest, Robert Vandenbrook, has uh, failed to appear, citing, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase it exactly, mystical 
just well the vibe it wasn't right from his end of things uh he's been a sensitive individual all his life uh so we'll just have to give him a pass on this of course we've managed to basically improvise here and put together a team of uh well four of us all together here johnny webb from out of london uk robert morningstar new york new york and Kaiser Schuff, the great state of Ohio, USA. I myself, of course, am Jaffe Ryder, based, as always, out of the South Korean peninsula. So uh, just a couple of things regarding, well, first of all, what you said, Kaiser, very important point as far as scientific method is concerned. Dismissing out of hand. You're right. That's not the best way of approaching things, obviously. At the same time, we have to be careful of simply just buying into something, whatever it is any phenomenon coming from any source. So that's, I think, how true skepticism functions. Basically, you wait and see, you test, and then you report on the results. So in the meantime, though, these uh, tentacles definitely need to undergo some sort of basic test of sorts within one hypothesis is they simply could be uh, squid or octopus. Looks very similar to the sort of food that we often eat here in Korea. It's a large, larger size, of course, so it'd be a healthy portion. But I wouldn't want to cook anything like that up till. Well, we can we could deal with the calamari jokes another time. You know, at this point in time, what we need to do is actually get some real investigation. A you know what we, in England we'd call like a biopsy. Yeah. You know, a sample right. of it. Get that tested. Get it done for DNA testing, and uh, we'll have something from that. And the problem is, is getting somebody to take it up, somebody to take it on board. You How know, I spoke cost, to a few Johnny? people. How much does it I have cost? no idea. No one's given me a price. Yeah, Someone that, told me call. that having um, the skull testing for the star chart would cost $200,000. Oh, this would be a simple, I'm sure it wouldn't be overly complicated. Well, if, it could be- if we do like the, the normal tests from a DNA kit, you know, is it my kid or is it hers? Is it his? You know, it's about 70 pounds, isn't it? About $100 for a quick test yeah. kit for DNA, you know. But I don't know what they come against once they get that kit and say, well, Blimey, you know, well, did she make with a squid? I don't know. Say, I don't is know it calamari? What, what, is it octopus or not? If it's not, you rule that out. Well, what out, is it? For me, this is how I feel. I've held four of them in my hand, okay, out of the six that he's got. I've had four of them in my hand, and I've put it on video, and I've shared that. And then from the same shot, I shared two different video events that happened with Robert Bandenbrook. They're real. They're real as the sense of they're in the freezer. I've taken them out. They're rock hard. They're frozen. When you look at them close up, they look like tentacles. Now, at this point, we don't know what kind of tentacle. But the fact is, is that it's not bullshit. Excuse the French. He's actually got them, and he's had them for three years. Now, what normal, rational person would do that if it wasn't true? The point is, is I, flew, I drove out there. I'm going to say fire. I drove out there uh, through the Channel Tunnel on the boat. That's almost contradicting myself there. I came out not on the plane. I drove. I took the ferry, and I've got video of that, and then uh, I drove to Germany, and then I drove back to Holland to meet Robert. And the day that I met him, that night before, was when he had that UFO experience. So when I got there and met him, I didn't even know there'd been a UFO experience for this year. I knew about the one in 2016. So when I got to meet him you know, in, in the flesh, it was a buzz, because he was showing me this video of this experience that had just been put online. That was outside his window, and so Kaiser mentioned I showed him the video of he's showing me the video and now panning my camera out of his kitchen window 
to the event point. Now, to me, that looked real. I looked at his computer. He doesn't have Photoshop. He doesn't have any of that type of suite to do any of that kind of stuff. He's a basic, simple computer guy. Now, he does have a friend, Stan, and Stan was the guy that I mentioned that came the last evening that I was there. Now, what happened was, is Stan takes his uploads from his phone through WhatsApp or something like that and then puts it up on YouTube, Facebook for him, you know? So there's the technicality of Robert Vandenbroek and getting something that he films up online. There's no whiz or, you know, the most that's ever been edited on any of his videos was done by Tom Schiffer the other day, you know, who's a sort of webmaster at Dr. J Radio Live and helps a few other sites out. So nothing to do with Robert Vandenbroek whatsoever. But he made an update of his video and enhanced it and brought it out in its darker stage because it was two small clips. The first clip was done instantaneously as he saw it, and literally it filled his memory up. So he stopped the clip, emptied a bit of memory. He said a lot of human stuff. He emptied that, as he told me, and then restarted filming. But at that point, it got darker. But he could still see it just about in the twilight of the night and filmed it through the, the visual of his camera phone until he couldn't see it anymore, and then he stopped filming. He then told me that with that, he could still sense that it was still out there up to 10 minutes after, even though it was dark and he couldn't actually see it with a naked eye anymore. But he told me he could sense it still out there. Now, a gentleman across the road who lives on the other side of the block that was being filmed, I just happened to stop him on the street while me and Robert were going to lunch at this local Brader Airport, which is near this crop circle event at the end of the airfield. But just as I was pulling out of this little cul-de-sac area, not cul-de-sac, but the state area where he lives, I saw this gentleman and I stopped him. His name was Sebastian. And I asked him, did you see or hear anything strange here happening the other night? And he went, oh, you know, I did. I felt something. And uh, I get this draining feeling that comes over me when something paranormal happens. I get paranormal events in my own home. And he's pointing to his door there around the corner from Robert's house. And we got a sort of 10-minute interview of him. But a lot of it was in Dutch. But Robert was translating that back. Yeah, did he say that he saw the sombrero-shaped UFO, the one that uh, Robert had uh, referenced just at the outset of today's no, conversation? No, I, I did ask. He didn't I, see no, it. No, he didn't, Jeffy. He didn't I did ask about five or six local people. You know, a few of them didn't want to talk on camera, but they all told me, no, they hadn't seen or witnessed anything. I did find the flat of where that event, where the actual camera shows on Robert's video, that the craft literally lands lower than the building and comes in front of the lights in the apartment and so it blocks the lights of the apartment out as it goes lower in front of that block of flats and so that top flat i found out that was flat number 32 and i went and buzzed on the door and got through to the first sort of door and up the stairs and i knocked on her door and uh, she had a small child with her and i I felt sort of a bit strange because i didn't know her and i was sort of a single man and she don't know who me and i felt a bit sort of funny towards that so i didn't sort of approach her too much but i did quickly say to her look i'm a reporter from england i'm here to investigate a ufo that was seen above your flat from robert vandenbrook's flat across the road from you did you happen to hear or see anything she said no i don't know nothing about it and i said well if you look on robert vandenbrook's facebook you'll see it but anyway i'll leave it and is it all right if i come back with robert vandenbrook and ask you this later on and she said yeah that'll be fine but I did go back with Robert, which I have on camera. But again, unfortunately, she didn't answer the door this time. And I'm not surprised in some sense. There was nobody else then except for Robert that claims to have seen this sombrero-shaped UFO that appeared just a couple of weeks ago at around dusk, I guess. No, it was at 9.30 in the evening local mm-hmm. time for Robert. But in living with Robert, I've noticed there's a 
quite a familiar dog walk pattern of a lot of people that walk their dogs, you know. And so I didn't actually get to talk to any of them about, I would just see sitting on his balcony. Now, he doesn't smoke, although he has an odd cigar when he goes out and does like this sort of phenomenon. I noticed that he'll smoke a cigar outside. He doesn't smoke it in the flat, in a sense. So I use his balcony and I was on his balcony and that's where most of my observations were done when it comes to dog walkers. But literally, you'd see them going up and down the road and I'd sort of shout out to them, you know, have you seen anything strange? And after the third person sort of gave me a very strange look myself to even quiz them about something like that, I didn't bother to ask them as they were walking by. But um, I did get the sense that there wasn't anyone that had seen the actual event that I'd spoken to, you know, and I'd spoke to quite a few people. But um, it was only Robert alone that filmed that event. My thought process is twofold. I would really like to uh, hear from Robert Morningstar about this. First off, uh, I got to say something for the American and maybe Canadian listeners if they don't know. A push bike is a bicycle. I'm just saying that because that's what you said earlier, Johnny, and I know a lot of Americans be like, what's a push bike? Second thing that I'll say is a DNA test. You can take it to a food place and say, what kind of species is this? A food testing place, and they'll get the DNA and you'll have those real numbers, okay? And it probably shouldn't be expensive because, you know, you're taking a tentacle, one of the four that you held, and I feel a little blessed because it was a live Skype call when you pulled them out and you were showing them to me, okay? So that's probably not one of the recorded ones you had. And you're like, look at this, Gene. On the final part of that, I'm pretty much in agreement with uh, Robert Morningstar that prolonged, and you said this has been years, prolonged holding on to it, even in a frozen state, brother, that cannot be healthy. I mean, you guys are telling me the aroma, and maybe you're not sick, but you only were exposed to it for four days. How many times has Mr. Uh, Vanderbrook pulled it out, you know, to look at it or show somebody, and he's handled it? You understand what I'm saying? I went on what Robert Vanderbrook said, Jim, which was that he actually played with his own conscience and said, look, I'm OCD, and I really don't want to be anywhere near it. And he says that higher calling told him, Robert, there's nothing to fear here. And he literally had it wrapped around his wrist, you know, while it was still connected to the being. Now, I believe that that interaction is enough to tell me that he's safe with human beings. This thing was given as a gift for humanity, okay? It's not given as some sort of spectacle in a sense, not to suggest that you're saying that at all, but it's really given, like he says, as a gift for humanity. There is something in the properties. I I saw a little clip the other day, and it reminded me of that, and it was basically, if a starfish loses its leg, it grows into another starfish. If an octopus loses its leg, it grows another leg, but it doesn't. Right. the leg doesn't grow into a starfish. So it's not saying that the properties will grow a human and leg, but it might help in some other sort of research. Maybe we don't have to use fetuses anymore. Something like that. I don't know. Right, right, right. No, I get it. I totally get it, man. I wasn't trying to be dismissive. Mr. Morningstar had brought it up earlier. You have to be very cautious. And it's yeah. uh, an old specimen now. And yeah, again, look, we can't be too trusting. We cannot be too trusting. This might be a ploy to uh, infect humanity with something otherworldly. Right now, yeah. there's uh, an Ebola uh, outbreak in the Congo that threatens uh, millions of people. But we don't know what we're dealing with. So I just urge caution. I think it's uh, 
an amazing adventure and it's an amazing experiment but you have to uh, protect yourself just going back about uh, the reference that John made about the benevolence of these uh, red orange extraterrestrials I can't call them gray because they're not gray they're red orange I have heard about these extraterrestrials and it has to do with a certain race they look somewhat like the grays in size and morphology, but their color is different. And Dr. Michael Wolf spoke about working with an orange-colored extraterrestrial. I had never heard of this. But then on one single day, I got three references and three questions uh, and two questions about orange extraterrestrials. Actually, two of them dealt with orange extraterrestrials. Uh, Dr. Michael Wolf was one of them. And then after getting an article and reading about an encounter with an orange, I got a call from a friend in Ohio who is a regular contactee since she was seven. And she said to me in the course of the conversation, they haven't been around in a long time. I kind of miss them. And I said, miss them? You miss the grays? She says, no, the pinks. Actually, they're a little bit more orange. And I said, what? And she started to tell me about these pink-orange extraterrestrials that have this look of a face that's kind of like a smiley face, and that when you're in their presence, you are in ecstasy, you are in bliss, you are so happy that you can't imagine happiness to be any higher. They just induce this in their presence. So this was the first time I heard about these blissful orange extraterrestrials, and I think that that may be what Robert's dealing with or the photograph. I'm going to say I'm uh, going to take off in about a minute because I have to talk to Gordon, but I may come back, okay? Okay, well, thank you for dropping in, and uh, we hope to see you again soon. So, yeah, thank you for your contribution uh, this week, whether or not you do manage to make it back. So, all the best. Hey. Yeah. Nice hey, meeting you, sir. Thanks, Robert. Nevertheless. Okay, well, yeah, happy sailing. Now, what I was going to just say here, Johnny, is it'd be great if you could share your links of all your videos uh, that you've recorded and have online with our the peanut gallery end of uh, today's web stream via YouTube uh, so that others can have a chance to access the content that you've put together and take a look at things and maybe try to get a better idea of what's actually going on in a clearer sense. On top of that, let me just say, the Art Bell picture, we talked about that just the other day, and I'm not sure where you stand on things, although it did seem like you were kind of leaning in the direction of it being quite similar, the one we found at least, I think we found one or two, that were quite similar to what Robert had managed to conjure, essentially, and uh, produce. So that was quite interesting. What Any further thoughts on that matter? There's three particular photos that come through first, and basically they're very clear of a person. And the second and third one are absolutely, you know, you can see the teeth of the person. And to me, it looks like Art Bell. Uh, he looks happy. He looks young. My mum told me that when people die, they go back to their happiest point in their life and where they felt the best. And it's generally a little bit younger. And that's the image they like to be remembered as. And so when that happened, that's what I felt. I felt Art Bell was at his youth when he was happy, you know, not his youngest. That's the one particular photo that looks familiar. Yeah, keep that one. Yeah, so when the photos were changing, they changed into this W60BB type photo, which I think Jeffy's going to share with us now. But at that point, I noticed that Robert Morningstar suggested as well, it looks starts to look a bit weird. It was like an alien in it, in a sense. I felt that as well. That was a sort of small, uncomfortable feeling. 
but nothing that I didn't feel I couldn't handle or, or see that in some form what it was saying to me. There was some alien interaction that was causing this to happen anyway. So it didn't sort of like shock me or make me feel uncomfortable in any way. But, um, you know, what was clear to me that someone was coming through on my own phone camera, being held by Robert Vandenbroek and being filmed by his friend Stan on his video camera. And me with a big camera behind them trying to film it. But the camera that I had, we'd just come back from a shot and the battery died. So we really just have Stan's point of view looking at my video camera taking shots of this phenomenon. And so um, I was shocked when I saw it. I'll be honest with you, it stunned me. I didn't expect it to be especially when he told me that he could feel him before he'd even started taking the shots. That's where it got a bit creepy for me. But creepy is the wrong word because I wasn't creeped out. I just instantly felt something that's not what we would call normal. You know, it's not a normal experience. So, yeah, we go into the hall and he's snapping away and these clicks and there's nothing in the hallway. There's just me and him and Stan and, and they're not in a particularly bright lit hallway. But he's snapping away and snapping and then up comes these first three shots and he's snapping away still, and then I see this other couple of shots, and then he sort of rolls back and starts showing them again. You know, so here they are, and we're looking, and you can see a form of someone, and I thought it might have been my dad, but when I looked, it wasn't. I thought it was another guy from a show that I'd done the day before. It wasn't him. But then when the second shot came through, I could clearly see a smile and teeth and eyes and glasses, and, you know, it made me sort of think, wow. And I I remember I've seen the video again today because I got it off stand today. And I've uploaded it today from him filming Robert with the camera live. And then my emotions, and I clearly stated in it, for me, it felt like God had answered my asking. You know, I asked not in Robert's name, but I asked in the name of Jesus. Lord, if this is your doing and this is what it's all about, show me. And if it's not what I'm meant to be doing, Lord, get me out of here. Johnny, there was a a person, Joe, Uh in the uh, chat who asked, were there any interactions with the men in black or warnings about nothing, what and from who? No, no, nothing like that at all. Even on the ferry coming back to England, I thought I might have got stopped, you know. They did ask me to lift my boot up on the hood of my car just to check if there was any immigrants coming in. But there was right. no one in there. And uh, no, I was shooed on the boat and got home nice. The squid itself, I guess, was, uh, according to what Johnny is saying, it was... Uh, shared as a gift or a blessing to humanity that's what robert is uh stating and that's as far as his uh take on things is concerned and there's no doubt about it whether whether it's uh you know the cynics might say uh, trickery or fraud uh, as well as just his supporters uh, claim that it's the real deal whatever the case it is quite uh fascinating and intriguing and definitely something worth uh, looking more into. But one of the, um, and this is, you know, whether it's the photography end of things, the ufological phenomenon, the crop circles, you name it, just the, the psychic, uh, the mediumship, as it were, and so on and so forth. One of the things that I really wanted to address, and because, Johnny, I know you know a little bit about this. We talked about this yesterday in the pre-interview, and that is really quite something that kind of made me step back and scratch my head. There's a bit of a tie-in here with the Natalie Holloway murder, which uh, it's really quite something. One of the shows we'd initially thought about producing was uh, Six Degrees of Bacon, was the concept we had in mind. And then, of course, for people who don't know, Six Degrees of Separation, or Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, essentially getting at how there is very little separation from 
the lowliest of the low in the world to the highest of the high, whether it's, you know, from serfs all the way up to kings and worldly rulers, popes and corporate or financial magnets, captains of industry, what have you. But yeah, the Natalie Holloway tie-in, there's uh, something really quite intriguing once again going on with respect to that whole story. Why don't you just kind of lay things out for our listeners as to what the connection is there? And before we do that, let's just give a quick shout out to the two Pirate Joes who are sailing along with us here, as is often the case each week as we produce our uh, weekly Pirate Radio podcast stream. So thank you for your support, Pirate Joes as well as uh, Johnny Canuck, and I'm not sure who else we've got there right now. But, yeah, over to you then, Johnny. What's uh... Let me interject. I think Johnny misunderstood me. I do want to hear about the Natalie Holloway thing. But, Joe, I believe he wasn't asking about your interactions with MIBs because he reiterated it. I think he's thinking about Robert Vanderbilt's right. interactions. Has he had any, brother? That's that's all I had to ask. And answer that and then answer about Natalie Holloway. I'd appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, Robert's had many interactions. And he says not abductions or things like that. He says he's taken, but he goes on his own accord. It's not something that he's fighting or fears and, and you know, struggling. He, he's totally compliant with it. Not alien not the, abduction, men in black, like no, government no. officials. Well, this is the thing. I would have expected something like that just in the two years that I knew him and nothing. And then when I went there and stayed with him and we discussed things and we discussed things locally with the people and talked about these events, still nothing. We talked to the local newspaper. It was uh, presented that the new crop circle was there that we'd witnessed. That was in in the paper. They know about his cases because Robert's been predicting crop circles and shown crop circles for the last 20-something years. So it's not something new that was going on here. As for Men in Black, no, never. Never had any anything like that. The nearest he ever got into trouble, which is that someone was using his email and system of Facebook or YouTube. It was one of these sort of connections that someone else was on it. And he got arrested for that. Um, for menacing calls or saying things menacing to other people, which happens all the time, doesn't it, on, on the internet these days. But um, he got pulled in for that. And while he was in the jail, it was still going on. So it was shown that it wasn't him. His system was hijacked. And we've all been you know, susceptible to that in our time. But I'm not covering what was said or whatever. I don't know what it was. All I know is that event did happen. He did get pulled in. And he says it was like a stormtroopers. They were all masked. They'd all come in with them sort of military hats and guns. The Dutch do have guns as standard with their police. I don't know if they, whether they put a bag on his head or whatever and took him out. But they certainly took him to jail for a couple of days and then let him out. And he wasn't charged. So... You know, if there's anything like Men in Black, that's probably the nearest he's ever had to anything like that. But again, they never questioned him on any of that subject whatsoever. That's pretty intense. Absolutely uh, crazy, if you ask me, that he would have been... That's the protocol, essentially. Uh, I did find something regarding Robert and some sort of trouble with the law that is online. I didn't look into it too deeply, mostly just because I didn't really want to embarrass anybody in the middle of an interview. Not that badly. It's uh, probably uncomfortable enough, I'm sure, that anyone has to field questions which, you know, of a skeptical nature. Some people are more at ease with it, and it's a kind of business as usual, I suppose. But then again, 
I just thought that something like that, and I think we're talking about the same thing there, Johnny, is that right? That it's kind of, it was widely publicized because he is a well-known celebrity in the Netherlands. He's appeared on multiple television shows and has a pretty high stature in some circles. So is that is that the only time that he's had trouble with the law? And then let's not forget about Natalie Holloway, too, while we're at it. Sure. Well, yeah, that is really the only time that he's had trouble with the law. He He's not a trouble person at all. He's not into any sort of vice. His vice is a cigar just before he goes on air. And when he's out on his bike and he feels that he's going to make a contact in the field somewhere, you know, he'll go out on his own and do what he does best, you know, to himself and whatever he's connecting to. But um, that's his only vice, you know, a cigar. His private life is his private life. It's not really for me to discuss any of that, but that is his life. And unfortunately, using Skype, um, he has made sort of connections and, and talked to different people. And he's been sort of blatant to the point of when they're rude to him, he'll be rude back to them. And I told him, look, Robert, if you want me to help you, you have to, from now on, and this was about a year ago, from now on, you have to stop communicating and saying things if you feel angry or upset to these people that are writing or saying horrible things to you just write to me and tell me them don't play game with them you know because it's going to cost you in the long run so i've sort of told him that he shouldn't really be doing those sort of things and he hasn't he doesn't do that so you know in regards to all of that stuff from his past where they love to pick up on any bit of dirt and throw mud as far as i'm concerned that's covered there's nothing really more to talk about on that but then that's the awkward thing, because when you get to sensitive things like the Natalie Holloway case, it's sensitive. You know, the parents are sensitive to it still. The media sensitive it. And so is the Dutch people. Yeah. And so is probably some American people. Johnny, let me just put the brakes on things right there just for a second, just to be clear that he was detained by the authorities in that really insane, heavy-handed manner with the essentially the SWAT team coming in and taking them uh, taking him rather into well but hang on but that's that's all because of uh, alleged online harassment that's how they handle yeah things. well this is the western world today isn't it it's incredible it, since 9-11 they turned all the tables on us the people you know we're all the bloody terrorists now that's the madness of 9-11 that's the madness of uh, all yeah, of these the pretext, um, justification almost as if it that was the plan all the way right from the start so I made a video of that earlier today. I call it the digital panopticon. You know, see something, say something. And if the people out there don't know what a panopticon is, it's a prison type system that they had a the guard tower in the center and all the cells were open. And it was obscured by curtains that you could look out but not look in. And so it ended up making the prisoners self-police themselves, you know, see something, say something where speech has to be altered, where everybody can be offended. Uh, that's the kind of thing I was talking about. And what you just mentioned about that makes this, this is a perfect example of the digital panopticon. Well, it's the deep state, isn't it, in every country in the West now? It's a deep yeah, state. We're getting a little um, bit off track, though, too, just to maintain the focus here. Well, uh, no, but let's bring it up to what you were saying. You're talking about a sort of stormtrooper-type approach to arresting him. And I'm just giving you an example of sure, how sure. that is conditioned and done in the Europe today. Right. Well, and Korea, too, they were promoting for the longest time the ubiquitous society. And ubiquitous, along the lines of what Kaiser's talking about, it's the panopticon where it's total surveillance. You cannot go anywhere without being under the watchful eye of Big Brother. CCTV cameras went up here in this country within the course of about 
two or three years, and they were ubiquitous, believe me. Up until that point, hardly anything as far as uh, spying on people in public areas. On top of that, now we've got the smart technology, so-called smart, which really it's spy technology, but they like to program us and so that we just kind of parrot uh, without stopping to think and maybe uh, reprogram ourselves and instead of calling it smart because you feel so good, I guess. A lot of people do, at least. It makes them feel smart if they, if they have these things in their possession or they're under smart surveillance. But yeah, total uh, prison planet police state. So just in brief then, John, if you want to just uh, address that and wrap it up, and then we can kind of uh, shift the focus over to this Natalie Holloway tie-in, because that is really something quite fascinating as well. Okay, well, well let's leave it there, and we'll go over to that case. Um, my understanding was is that what I've read and researched into it myself was that Stan, the gentleman that we talked about earlier, a friend of Robert's, he was a friend of a gentleman called Vandersloot, and this is the murderer of a lady that's serving time in a prison in Peru now. We have to roll it back a few years. Now, what happened was, is a young girl from America called Natalie Holloway was taking a break with the rest of the school on an island out called Aruba in the Caribbean. While she was there, she got involved with some people in a bar or whatever and went off in a taxi. And her girlfriend said, no, I'm not going that far. I'm just going to get out of here. And she saw Natalie and a few gentlemen drive away in a taxi. That was the last time she'd ever seen her. That was the last time anyone seen her. So there was an investigation that the school was coming home with one less student and what's gone on. And, you know, there's a missing person. So it went out on the island, but typical island life. It's very quiet and slow. Now, one of the other things that was a bit strange was that my understanding was is one of the judges of the court system on the island was this van der Sloot's father. But in some way, even though he was staying on the island with his father, he's somewhat estranged to him. The way that Robert Vanderbrook has explained to me that this van der Sloot child never received any love. Don't know nothing about love. He has no empathy for love. Never thought about love. Never been hugged by his parents. That's my understanding. But anyway, what happened was, is that somehow he was picked up for questioning that he was with that girl, Natalie Holloway, in that taxi. And he says, yes, I knew her. I was with her in the taxi, but I didn't kill her. He says that there was some other gentleman in the vehicle that he knew from the island and that they might, might have done it, but he didn't do it. And so this went back and forth with questioning. And then the American media got involved and they came over and they were questioning him in private sessions where they were paying him $20,000 or something for an interview. And they would question him and he would run him a mark and use their $20,000 and go gambling. And this is how Stan had known him as a gambler. He met him as a gambler. Stan was a gambler, done well out of it. And he was a gambler and he knew him back from Holland and he felt sorry for him because he'd grown up with him, this Stan, and felt this kid was, you know, going down the wild line. So he tried to talk to him and talk to him as not just as a person and a friend, but as a medium as well. And he felt that he, he's, he can't help him. So he sort of retired from being his friend and trying to help him and, and laid back. But what had happened was the police and the courts and the media and then the American media and the family, they would come over hearing that this Randa Sloot might have something to offer them as information to the whereabouts of their children. And they offered money as well. And he'd take that money and spend it and gamble. And it was, just, you know, it was just pitiful and shameful, you know, what was going on. And anyway, he still didn't get charged with the murder. And Robert Vandenberg 
told me he didn't murder Natalie Holloway, but he did murder the second woman that he's serving time for in Peru. But he didn't murder her. He was never charged with her murder. Now, sometime later, he obviously traveled, went to Peru, met this woman, murdered her, and now is serving life in prison in Peru for that. And the, the initial now, case with Natalie Holloway, this took place on the island of Aruba, if I'm not mistaken, where, yes. uh, once again, van der Schloot, which, according to Robert Morningstar, who we now have uh, back on board and in the house, big shout out once again to him. Thanks for dropping back in. It means in the canal or from the canal. So, But let me just in brief here, his father, van der Sloot's father, was actually the head chief justice of the island, having to then rule on his black sheep prodigal son's case, which to me, right off the bat, I'm sure many other people too, and I've only recently conflict found this of interest. Out, total conflict of interest, of course. So, Robert, but I'm really not sure if that was actually the case, though. I think, I'm not absolutely sure, but I think it might have been, you know, dealt with by another judge in the case of that conflict of interest. I'm sure that it wouldn't be as blatant as that. And if it was, it would certainly be all over the world news. And if they're all, if they're Freemasons, of course, well, you can pretty much expect what the outcome is going to be then, even if maybe as in the case of Osama bin Laden, they are the, the black sheep of the family. Let's, let's have you just wrap things up here, Johnny, because there's some other fascinating details regarding an apparent apparition and visitation in van der Sloot's cell in peru i believe is where it was and uh, exactly as well as, what's the tie-in exactly with the one degree of separation or bacon if you will between stan van der Sloot and mr vandenbrook there's a connection there is there not we have a question from the peanut gallery gotta try to put this in uh the guy says uh people need to and i think it was it came up right when you guys were talking about that judge People need to start turning in politicians and judges run for election in America. I don't know if they do over there or not. And wrongdoers before they are elected. See something, say something. I guess from what we were talking about. Good for him. Exactly yeah. right on that. Checks yeah, and balances. And just, Checks yeah, and balances. Exactly. And just a little bit of that to give some flavor to your comment, Johnny. That's all I was trying to do. God bless. What Joe, Pirate Joe 333, goes on to say is call in web cameras. I feel they are spying on individuals instead of catching real criminals. California new homes will have AI. Yep. You have no choice. Well, look at these spy meters. Oh, I'm sorry, smart meters. What are <laughs> these all about? It's a total fraud and a scam. It's basically they're building smart prisons for everybody, just regular citizens here on Earth, turning us all into criminals and ultimately even terrorists. Patriot Act 1 and 2 was designed to do that um, after 9-11. Um, but what's Patriot happened Act. is is that you've now got Siri and you've got the, the other oh, you know, female well, voice thing. It. Don't buy it. Yeah, but the problem is, is most people, you start about buying it, it's already built in. So they use a technology called Lucent Technology. Um, it's designed by a group called Trusted Computing. And basically it's in your computers, it's in your phones, sure. it's in your TVs, sure. it's in your toasters. Yeah. Um, Dishwashers, but this technology is all geared up for Wi-Fi number six or yeah, G5, G5, is it? G, yeah, oh Super my hot. God. Yeah. We're going to have a big show on so, that coming up here with uh, Suzanne Marr joining us in September. We've already got her book, and we're looking forward to that. So we couldn't get a Elana Freeland, but that's okay. I think Suzanne has a lot to offer, and she's almost as much up to speed on things as uh, Elena is. So back over to you, though, uh, Johnny. Let's just see if we can dive further into this Natalie yeah. uh, Holloway case and further just flesh out the details. Thanks. Mr. Morning, sir. Yes, sir. I can't resist uh, stating that the most suspicious thing about uh, Van de Sloot's father 
when the event unfolded, the first thing he did is rent a uh, truck and throw out all the furniture in the bedroom. Now, why would Van der Sloot's father discard all of this new furniture and carpeting and redo the whole room if Natalie Holloway had not been in his house? Destruction of the crime scene. Now, yes, indeed. And the, and the fact that he admitted that he had been in a taxi cab with her uh, lends even more suspicion to his activities. So I, I think that Van der Sloot's father is a big part of this mystery. Masonic? Uh, yes. More than Very likely. Masonic. Getting off scot-free is a, a term that comes from uh, Masonic uh, trials and rigging of judgments. Scottish, right? Uh, Van der Sloot is, is an interesting name. It means from the canal. And I found out that there's a Dutch idiom that when it's translated, it says uh, dragging the cow from the canal. It's got very uh, negative overtones. But uh, Van der Sloot was stabbed, by the way, in prison in uh, 2014. And he's not living a very happy life. The other interesting thing that came out of this whole investigation, Van der Sloot claimed that Natalie Holloway had stated that she was somehow related to Hitler. And I thought that was one of the strangest relationships that I had. Where was that claimed from? That was from an interview that, remember Peter de Vries, the uh, Dutch journalist who went down there and tricked him into talking? He hid the camera in the car and took uh, Van der Sloot for a drive. And he recorded Van der Sloot uh, talking up all of these things about uh, his uh, experience with Natalie, and of course, you know, covering up that he'd been involved in her death. There was also a very interesting thing, uh, I just sent you a link, about the death of this guy named Lucan at the age of 32 down in uh, Florida, who was stabbed to death after he admitted that he had burned the body of Natalie Holloway, helping Van der Sloot get away with it. He confessed that a few years ago, and then he just... He was stabbed in the act of trying to abduct a woman and drag her into a car. So, yeah, that's uh, I, I've sent you the links if you want to follow them. They're sure. down there in the chat. It's a very terrible uh, murder, and the cover-up on the part of the Aruban authorities was plain and obvious. And uh, they were seeking to save their uh, tourist industry, but I think there was a huge backlash. And God bless Mrs. Holloway and the family that suffered so much. Yeah, I haven't uh, followed the case all that closely myself. It definitely sounds like Robert has, as well as uh, uh, Johnny here, most certainly. Once again, in case I did uh, miss it, though, and maybe our listeners as well, what is a tie-in exactly with the one degree of separation between uh, Van der Schloot, Stan, and Robert uh, Vandenbroek? What's the connection there exactly? Okay, before Stan met Robert Vandenbroek, he'd met Van der Schloot from school, I believe. If it's not the case that they shared school, he knew him at some point where he knew that he was a gambler. Uh, he knew him before he was a gambler, and he'd reached out to him in his gambling days that he should try and find a better experience in his life. Stan was a medium at that point in his own right, and when he was relaying that to him, I believe he was using it in that sense, not as a best buddy or anything like that. He found out that, you know, with his sixth sense of him, that it wasn't someone he wanted to be close to. He couldn't see what he was going to do in the future, but he'd felt there was something not correct. He left the friendship. Later on, he 
connected with Robert Vandenbroek and his situation and his webpage and realized he had an interest in Robert Vandenbroek. And so he reached out to him and between them, they also had phenomenon similar to what happened to me, what happened to Nancy Tolbert, what happened to William Gazaki. And anyone that goes to meet Robert Vandenbroek, well, I'm sure have some paranormal experience that's very personal to them. But in this case, Stan was there for a few sessions with Robert where not only did he get Neil Armstrong coming up, who'd recently died, uh, he had Natalie Holloway and she came through on a few shots. She was smiling. She looked happy. She was talking to Robert and he was relaying it, but it was in Dutch. I don't know if it's they subtitled it now. They may well have done. But um, Robert Vandenbroek's connection to Stan was, as I say, Stan had initially reached out to him through the internet, through whatever he, he was putting out through robertvandenbroek.com and so became buddies and acquaintances and experienced a few things together, both being mediums. And they still remain friends today, and they're still in good connection. You know, you talked about the first bit of bacon or whatever you want to call it. Stan being reaching out to Robert is where Robert has now got the understanding of who Vandersloot is. Now, what Robert told me was that he was sitting in his sofa one day, just chilling, taking a breath, taking that five minutes of personal relaxation away from all things. And he said, as I was sitting there, I found myself in a cell looking down on a man. And that man was Vandersloot. And he said, I was there in a dream. I could see him in his bed. I could see him looking up at me. And I remember having a conversation with him. And he said to me, no one's going to believe this. I need a code. And he told me the code, well, you make a code up. And Vandersloot made a code up of White Horse. And Robert remembers this code, White Horse. And then the next thing, he's back in his sofa, back in Holland, thinking, what the hell's that? Now, he told Stan, and two weeks later, an email comes through from a lawyer from Peru acting on behalf of Vandersloot while he's in this jail in Peru. And he says, I'm very sorry to disturb you, Mr. Vanderbrook, but I've got a client here from jail, says that you come into his cell, told him a message. I forgot to say, by the way, Robert's apparition or whatever it is, his experience, he told me that while he's there looking down on him, he sees that this Vandersloot has never, ever received any love whatsoever in his life. And he said that he shone unconditional love on him. And he opened his heart up to receiving love for the first time and filled him with love. And it's obviously made an impression on this Vandersloot. Now, that was what Robert told me. All the Imagine the concentration of energy of a whole nation looking at you and hating you. He said, well, that was what was going to him. Unconditional hate and negative energy. He said, well, I equalized all that and cancelled it all out and filled him with unconditional love. And now he knows what love feels like. Now, that's going back to him in his dream state, sitting on his sofa, being there in the cell with Vandersloot. He then says he's back in his house. He's looking on the sofa. And he tells Stan, and two weeks later, this gentleman, as I say, he's a lawyer acting on behalf of Vandersloot from his cell in Peru, saying, dear Mr. Vanderbrook, this gentleman says you came into his cell, touched him, changed him, and he says you have a password if it's you, and uh, you'd know all about him. And I know that it sounds really daft, and I'm very sorry to have to put this to you, but I am a lawyer, and I'm acting on his behalf. I'd be grateful if you could answer. And Robert writes him back and says, yes, the password is Whitehorse. Well, this lawyer goes on national television in Peru, along with Vandersloot, and the pair of them make a testimony of their own mouths about how this event happened. 
So Vandersloot makes a testimony, says this Robert Vandenbroek fellow has come in my cell in the middle of the night and like a little beam of light in the sky in the, in the corner of the room and he's talking to me and he's changed my life. And the lawyer's like, I spoke to Robert Vandenbroek and this is absolutely the case. He's given me the code and I know this to be real. And the pair of them have made this statement. You can find it on YouTube. Now, going back from all of that, that is your number one bit of bacon, as you said, this connection. Other than that, there is no connection. But to bring it all to date with the case, Robert had been pondering on that case where he's with Stan and Natalie Holloway has come into the picture and talked to him. And she's told him where she is. And she told him that she's in grave 15 with a C written next to it. And she's in the um, St. Anne's grave, still on the island of Aruba. And he didn't say anything about it. He kept it to himself. And then he says he got a call from a Dutch girl, another medium. And she contacted him. And she said, look, I'm not being funny, Robert, but I need to talk to you because the photograph of that girl, the Natalie Holloway that's been recently put on your Facebook or, you know, one of your channels, I'm getting a feeling that she's in a grave, number 15, with a C on it. And Robert's concurred with her and said, yeah, I believe that too, you know. Well, he told a Dutch channel, or someone has told a Dutch channel radio newspaper thing in Holland, and they reached out to Robert and said, I'm a a reporter from so-and-so, from the Dutch channel, blah, blah. I'd like you to get on a plane with me and come out to Aruba and point out where this grave is and get it opened. And if they don't allow them in the local sort of uh, church to open it, then I want you to break into it. Well... I told him to clear off, you know, and uh, to have nothing to do with the fella. But the information is still the truth. It is still what he concurs at this point. He has the respect for the family. He understands that they've been ripped off by this Vandersloot for money, for gambling, and have literally been abused. And he doesn't want to interfere with them and to make trouble to them. Although information like this getting out, if it does get to them and they do want to contact him, he'd be open-hearted to help them. But he doesn't want to reach out and make some spectacle of it or himself or them well Vandersloot has apparently been extorting money once again i think you're kind of uh trying to hit on this or establish this as um just to make this clear to listeners extorting money to the tune of what twenty, thirty thousand dollars just for information as to where their daughter can be found on top of that robert morningstar would these claims of her body being buried in grave number, I think it was 15C, uh, in this particular cemetery in the island of Aruba, would that be consistent with the story that you were referring to earlier, where this one alleged uh, accessory or someone who, had, who was claimed to have uh, participated in the disposal of her body, would that be consistent, that he could have disposed of the body and I thought you said burnt. Did you not burnt the body? Yes. And then it was later. Well, how would that work? Would this be possible that it was burnt and then later buried? Does that make sense? Well, it would be a lot easier to bury some bones than to bury a whole body, correct? Think about the volume of a human body. Once you've burned it, think about the volume of a skeleton. You could collect all those bones in one duffel bag and then bury it someplace. That would be my suspicion. How about that? Uh, well, it could sure. be uh, put to the test as well, too, I imagine, as with the alien uh, the squid tentacles, which uh, with mm. that kind of uh, fishy, sea-scented smell, mm. it has to undergo some some form of confirmation. Until then, all we can do really is speculate. So, uh, yeah, I, 
never felt that the body uh, was out to sea. They claimed uh, a lot of other ways of disposing of the body. I've always felt that uh, Natalie Holloway's body was still on Aruba. And the reason I mentioned that strange coincidence, you know, because I do study languages and I, I'm, I'm adept in European languages. So I wondered about the name van der Sloot, and that's when I stumbled upon that idiom referring to the canal. And then I, I investigated a little bit about Aruba, and there does seem to be some kind of a canal there. So my suspicion has always been that the name had something to do with the disposal area, but I've never wanted to venture in too deeply into that. I don't I don't really like what happened. I don't like the island. Uh, I know how the Dutch authorities are. And so my belief is that Natalie Holloway's body was disposed of on Aruba, that it's still there, could be in the grave, but Sherlock Holmes tells me, look around in the canal. Sure. And we've got to wrap things up here, folks, uh, just a few minutes. It's been a great roundtable, of course. But uh, Johnny Webb, just to be clear, with respect to what you were saying in regards to what happened, allegedly, between Robert and Mr. Vandersloot, that he came to him in a dream with the code name Whitehorse, and that was then relayed to uh, via Robert to... Vandersloot's lawyer, and that the connection made that way, uh, from which point the lawyer and Vandersloot appeared, I guess, via the prison where he's based out of in Peru for a, a television interview. He must be something of a notorious type celebrity from the sounds of things if he's managing to have uh, those sort of uh, rights or privileges, being able to win such a, a wide audience there. That's quite the. Uh, platform that he's managing to uh find for himself but yeah just to quickly just to break down exactly i'm not sure if everyone followed that or not kaiser how about yourself were you clear on the details there hopefully all of our listeners were how that worked essentially i think i basically oh yeah just it was perfectly clear by the way they described it there's always breadcrumbs and there's always circles and you know i'm about connecting circles and connecting dots just like everybody who's an investigator and uh, it makes sense to me perfectly clear. And I think the audience, you have a more than uh, intelligent audience. Uh, just from the chat, we were just talking about something else. But everybody gets stuff. And I think that uh, there was enough breadcrumbs that I think Robert dropped and Johnny dropped. It's perfectly clear. Sure. Any just uh, closing thoughts or comments uh, from either uh, well, both, hopefully, Robert and Johnny. But before we do, let me just mention this. That Let's see how William Kozecki uh, produced a film dealing with uh, Robert's life story. Johnny, why don't you just, uh, in brief then, summarize Mr. Kozecki's endeavors on that front, how the film came off exactly, where people can find it, as well as, then I suppose, a wrap, because we've got to sail on out of here over to the after show. Okay, well, William came over from uh, Nancy Tolbert. Um, initially and he spent 10 days with him and literally talked to the whole family and you know witnessed experiences so when he turned up he came in as a you know video reportage type event he's a film producer he's made a lot of documentaries um he's famous in his own right lives in hollywood talks about hollywood uh universal you know and uh nbc tv these type of things he's always talking like that but 
In this documentary that he'd done 10 years ago, he spent the whole time with him and his family and just got the full picture, like a fly-on-the-wall type scenario of everything that's going on. But obviously, like all things that happens when someone comes in the vicinity of Robert, is whatever's personal to you comes up in some form. And in this one, for him, William Kazaki, it was having Aaron Russo appear in camera and in his mediumship through Robert. And Robert was calling him the freedom fighter, something like that. And he says, yeah, I've got a guy here and he knows you and he likes you and he's a freedom fighter and he's still fighting freedom in another dimension, in another galaxy, but still pushed towards the earth. And I thought that was nice when he said that. And so he started to flash away and on, on William's camera and flash, 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 flash. And up comes Aaron Russo, who was a freedom fighter, spoke up against the Rockefellers when they said, you know, what do you care about these schmucks? Just worry about your own few. Forget the rest of them. You know, they're all going to burn. They're gonna, we're going to kill them, you know. Six million have got to go in the, or six billion. Georgia Guidestones, you know, just read that. And he didn't like that. So he uh, he spoke up and he went on to Alex Jones's show and he talked all about it. So Alex Jones and Aaron Russo, brilliant, brilliant piece of footage there. And so uh, he came through very clear, looking like Aaron Russo does, big smile on his face, younger. You could clearly see it was Aaron Russo. And for me, when that happened a few years ago and it got online, I remember seeing that and being touched by Robert even at that time, because Aaron Russo had touched me with what he came out with and spoke up with Alex Jones. And so, you know, I was always touched years ago by that. But then to think some years later, I'd be sort of working with Robert and helping him put his story and his life experience out there was always amazing. And so, yeah, so William made a beautiful documentary. It's a listed YouTube video, so it's not for public at the moment. You know, I don't know why. I think that he's looking to probably get it made into some sort of pilot for a tv series that could probably help robert being like a fly on the wall i don't know how it'd be like uh what's his name what's that family in america i should know him because he's english <laughs> but they have a fly on the wall don't they with a family you know the rock star and his kids and all that and so uh oh, ozzy osbourne exactly yeah the ozzy osbourne type experience they're looking at something similar to that but i don't know if it'll have the humor that it would have with you know the way that it is but in the sense of literally trying to put it to some real scientific testing to get it done where everything is vouched and vouched and vouched again. And what he really needs is some some real people to come through, you know, that can vouch. You know, there's been people in the background that I've spoken to that are all for Robert and what he does, and they, you know, they acknowledge, you know, his own truth. But um, it's actually putting their name and coming forward is a bit harder. Robert Morningstar's has certainly done that, and I applaud you, Robert, for that in your own understandings. Johnny, have you heard of the $1 million paranormal prize that the James, Randolph, James Randolph Education yeah. Foundation has offered? Yeah, tell him to get his, get his butt over to Holland and sit with him for a week, and then he can just give him a nice fat check at the end. I'd love to be there for that. Well, you know, nobody, I think, it's been in place now for around, I think, at least 30, 40 years, and to this point, nobody has managed to... Well, no, tell a lie. He, he did give it away, didn't he, on a YouTube you know, skit about two years ago and then said it was an April Fool's joke. Do you remember was, when he did it with a guy with a computer? Was, yeah, it was a spoof. It was a, yeah, it was a satire exactly. piece. But, uh, I, mention, I, think, but I mean, if anybody out there feels they have paranormal uh, powers of any sort, <laughs> if it was me, I would definitely jump at the chance. 
So in well, I can only tell you that Robert Vandenbroek would never in a million years approach Randolph for any money. He don't need his money. It's not about money. It's about understanding. It's about, well, about waking something up within yourself. You know, a seed planted in all yeah. of us, tuning into it, into your inward understanding, your, your inner knowing of what is the real truth. I only say just investigate. You know, I came out on my own accord, jumped in my car, and I went and saw for myself. And I can contest that everything I saw is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Johnny, we've got somebody there thumping away on the keyboards. I guess they forgot to uh, mute themselves, either James or Robert. But just as long as they're aware of that, we can kind of carry on and and wrap things up. But yeah, if it was me, I would uh, hand all of that money over to charity then if I didn't, you know, want to uh, claim that on a personal uh, level, uh, that would be probably... Well, if, if Randall wants to do that, you know, if this will ever get out to his ears and he does hear it, then yeah, Mr. Randall, if you'd like to approach Mr. Randenbrook, I'm sure he would take up your plight, only on the grounds that you give it to a nice charity. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Just any closing comments? Let's, uh, I guess, start with Kaiser and then maybe Robert, and then finally, let's end things with Johnny. So, Mr. Shuff over in Ohio, uh, thoughts on today's roundtable conversation? I think it's been very fruitful, and it was me who didn't mute. So apologize for that. I, I was quick to uh, mute my dogs, but not that, I guess. I thought I'd muted. My thoughts are uh, I'm still open-minded, not so open-minded until my brains fall out. But what I will say is uh, I did have the pleasure of talking to Johnny while he was there. I didn't find anything untoward from the gentleman we're talking about, Robert. And I saw the video, but see, photographic evidence is always dubious to me because I've seen it faked so many times, and it's gotten very good. I mean, look at the uh, Bin Laden pictures after he died in Tora Bora. Videos and photography these days, just it just for me, it doesn't matter it's who phenomenal. it is, forget it. That doesn't cut it. Maybe there was something there, but as far as actual genuine proof, no. Because of the digital uh, trickery that anyone can do these days, of course, along with, well, CGI. It's a Galaxy, you know, CGI. It's a Galaxy 7 Edge. No, no, no. We're, we're not, I'm not saying he faked that, Johnny. You're taking it different than I mean it. No, no. It's just, we don't, uh, we don't know. We're just putting we, out nobody, there we to, don't know. to the listeners, you know. That's no, I, I want... I want them to know that. That's I'm not trying to discount you. I, I just wanted to finish my point because it's really quick. I'm always dubious with photography because being a former Fed, I know how if I had your face and I knew how to do things, I could find somebody with the same body type. And if I was skilled and was able to move and change your face in different things, I could put you in a porn movie with a child. I, I know that's happened. That's a for real thing. So that's why I'm saying I'm dubious about photography, and I mean this. But uh, what I will say uh, very correctly is I agree that I don't see any intentional malfeasance or misfeasance or even, you know, I, I just don't see that with him. I think he's an autiste, and I mean that in a good way. And uh, I think he does have a gift. I don't know what that gift is. It could be the influence of camera. I'm not beyond thinking the human mind can't influence things. He's definitely talented no matter which way yeah. you look at it. There's no doubt about that. So let's pass the talking stick over on to uh, Mr. Robert Morningstar out of New York, New York. I think that Robert Vanderbroek is the nexus of many 
paranormal streams. I think that he is in contact with a very deep part of the human soul that all of us come into the world with, but is snuffed out by education. I think that Robert's uh, soul was sparked by the encounter with the UFO at a very early age, and then it was concentrated when the authorities uh, turned against his gift and uh, institutionalized him for a year. I think that at that time, the certainty of his UFO experience and the certainty of his spiritual powers uh, coalesced, withdrawing. And I think that uh, James is right, that he may be autiste or a savant. But either way, he deserves our attention and his video. Here's the thing about the Art Bell photo. I've never seen a paranormal manifestation captured by three people simultaneously. Robert, while he was channeling or intercepting the transmission from Art Bell. Stan, when he was videotaping it as it happened, and Johnny snapping photos at the same time. I think that the photographic evidence here is stronger than in any other paranormal case I've ever seen. I have to knock it down one sense because I did say earlier that when I picked up the big Sony camera to start filming over Stan's shoulder that was filming over Robert's shoulder filming with my camera, at that uh-huh. point, that battery had died on me. So I haven't okay. got that bit of footage. That's okay. the bum. Uh, sorry for the confusion. The video of uh, Robert uh, in the corner taking the photos and them appearing. Bang, bang, bang. One, two, three. As I said about the Polaroids, that was you had to wait one minute. Here, it's a question of seconds. And then, of course, I do believe that the ETs are involved in this and that that manifestation of Art Bell could be an ET shape-shifting trick. At another time, I'll tell you why I believe that, because I had a direct encounter with an ET that has had a skull similar to that shape that is appearing in the metamorphosis, and he tried a shape-shifting act with me. But my mind was strong enough to overpower his mind, and he was not able to take over my optic lobes to impose a shape-shifting hallucination on me. We'll leave that for another time, but I'll say that Robert Van der Broek is a, uh, both a psychic and a spiritual phenomenon, and we should watch him closely to see what happens. This sounds like some great uh, material and conversation talking points that we could definitely hash over in the uh, one-hour rogues gallery after show, depending who's on board, or um, committed to putting uh, that portion of today's conversation together. That's the premium content, of course, that we record as often as we can for our Patreon supporters. Uh, Let me just say, though, that, uh, yeah, well, we've yet to hear from Johnny, so just in closing, Johnny, let's keep it brief, just uh, under just a, a minute or two. Thoughts on today's show? Did this show for about six years. Spoke to experiencers, abductees, as whatever they want to be called. I've spoke to people that say they've lived with aliens. I've spoke to people that are spiritual, that have seen ghosts, that have done the Ouija board. I've seen uh, people that are members of parliament, members of senate. I've spoken to astronauts, and I've spoken to all sorts of people. And in all that six years, I never made a penny. And I said to God in my inner self, God, if this is the right path for me, please show me the way and, you know, bring the right people into my life. If this is not the right path for me, Lord, like my wife says, and I should get a real job, then please show me the right path and take me away from this. And 
about a day later, Robert Vanderbrook knocks on my door. And he says, John, I'm having a lot of trouble here in Holland with the media. They think I'm a charlatan. I'm not a charlatan, John. I'm truthful. It's the truth what I'm saying. They're trying to make me into a lion. I'm not. They're trying to do it to all mediums in Holland. But we're not charlatans, John. We're telling the truth. There's a bigger thing and we're into disclosure. And that's what he told me. And he said, can I help? And I said, yeah, I can help. I know shows. I know Americans. I can put you on. And that's all I've tried to do for Robert is to set him up for shows, which is what he asked me to do. And then when I heard about tentacles in the video, I said, look, bring those tentacles to a video and make a video. He'd done that. We put it out on his page and YouTube and no one from any official you know, services that could facilitate in getting any of that tested turned up. MUFON never turned up. No one turned up to help him. So I got in my car and I drove over there. And for my own eyes, I bear witness and testimony to everything I've seen and showed on video that he was in a field with aliens that left him some tentacles and he took them home and put them in his fridge for three years. And no one came and touched them. No one came to inspect them. And I have that on video. Those tentacles that he claims have been there for three years. While I was there, I, he produced a crop circle in front of me. I say he, through me and him sitting there, a crop circle appeared right in front of my eyes. As I looked at him and said, what number of the trees? Was it five or six trees up? And when I look back, there's a crop circle. That's less than five seconds. And it was there. It wasn't there before. I could make that clear. So I've seen a lot of phenomenal. I've had a lot, you know, like cakes with cherries on. And it just kept getting more and more and more. So I feel that going there and, again, asking not Robert, but my inner self, Lord Jesus, if this is your will, please show me what is right. And if it's not, take me a hell away from it. And he kept showing me more and more and more through Robert Vanderbilt, through these experiences, through my own camera. And I can just only bear testimony to that. So as a radio host, you know, and talking to a lot of people, this is something else to put into that pile because it's real. People's stories are real. This phenomenon's real. There is disclosure, but it's not going to be like on POTUS, you know, on the lawn. It's going to be in normal people. Someone said to me that, you know, you had all these mighty men working in with big swords, working for Merlin, and they were all the knights, and they were the biggest and bravest. But it took some little kid to find the sword. I think Robert's your little kid. It's not going to be some big, you know. You know, what, what seems to be clear to me is this ain't about UFOs either, you know, and technology and space and massive motherships. It's about something in ourselves. It's about opening up to your inner truth. Jesus says that it's a seed in all of us that if we go inward, not out there in space and deep, far away, it's right close inside us. Just open your heart. Listen to yourself. Ask your inner voice. Ask God through your inner voice, you know. Ask Jesus. That's what they tell us. I did. And he showed me all this stuff. So I bear testimony to the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and to Robert Vandenberg. Sounds like William Kozaki's got a little more film making to do here. Definitely things brewing in, in the works that you clearly have quite the story to share and is something that would be worth getting out to a, a wider audience with your testimony and footage. And what the public is ultimately able to make of things is clearly up to them. Typically, there's a diversity and variety of, of views on these issues. Uh, whether as once again, the cynics would say, completely fraudulent and uh, more just along the lines of magic tricks and so forth, or uh, the other end of the spectrum, genuine, bona fide, mystical, spiritual, psychic mediumship. 
that's up to debate and up in the air. But in either case, it is quite fascinating once again and really quite uh, amazing the phenomenon that he is able to produce. So it's really great that we've had a chance to do this show this week and have the conversation. The Holy Trifecta, the three Bobs, Robert Morningstar, Robert Homrich, and now finally Robert Vandenbroek. Uh, and the spelling there, just to be clear, folks, we had uh, Robert remind us via Facebook, just a bit of a typo there. I don't know how that happened, but it's B-R-O-E-K-E with the surname. So we got a few things to talk about here in the, the after show. But before we do that, let's just remind, and hopefully everyone's muted now at this point. It's also two Bs in the Robert. That's right. So uh, we'll just, once again, get everybody to mute themselves and remind our listeners We've got a couple more great shows coming up here for the month of May. On top of that, just a shout out to Tom Schaefer, who joined us here just in the lead up to things. And he's, of course, best known for the Free Cosmos Project. So we promised that we would give him a shout out from the Robin Hood. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it. But I think we once again had a pretty lively roundtable as things were on their own and let's not forget as well too with respect to what we currently see happening throughout the world along the lines of what robert homrich was talking about last week that we are indeed living through the age of apocalypse which once again simply means a revealing or an unveiling of what has to this point been hidden so uh, very much within the realm of consciousness is where a lot of this could very well be taking place so something definitely to think about and reflect upon. Let's not forget Kaiser Schuff uh, helped to remind us here the other day that we don't do enough of self-promotion, really, as far as reminding listeners that if you can't afford to get on board with us over on Patreon.com, it's Patreon.com forward slash WPRPN, one of the things that you can do that's quite easy and free is simply remind our content or share it out on Facebook or any of the other social media platforms you find yourself presently connected to and signed up with. So we very much appreciate it, of course, if you can do that. Once again, if you're not able to help support us via Patreon or get those donations coming in via PayPal or even on Minds.com, wiring of the booster points. So let's not forget that half of all the donations that we do manage to put together and gather here it does go back directly to charity and community good works. People that are down and out, essentially, looking for a bit of a hand up. That's really what we're all about here in true Robin Hood fashion. So on that note, folks, until we meet again out on the high digital seas, on behalf of Captain Long John St. Clair, Kaiser Schuff, and our friends and mateys that joined us here this week, of course, Robert Morin star Johnny Webb, Myself, Jaffe Ryder, happy sailing. God bless everyone. I know, there we be. Having carefully looked over each of our navigation panel instruments, checking every level, switch, dial, cable, knob and pulley, by all accounts and indications, we indeed see it's time once again to drop anchor inside Mystic Bay and draw an end to another week of Pirate Radio Podcasts. 
Remember, if you're looking for a little more lively online action, keep in mind we've likely got yet another great free-flowing rogues gallery after show coming up for the next hour in either Skype, Google Hangouts, or Peer.in. Also, if you've in any way enjoyed or found yourself benefiting from the shows we've tirelessly produced over the past two years, you might want to drop by our Patreon tip jar page and lend a little support. Half of all network donations go directly to charity. Help to keep those numbers growing over on Patreon, and we'll be able to extend even more of a generous pirate hand. Looking forward now to the balance of 2018, we're still not quite yet booked. So if you yourself have a new, novel, intriguing, or otherwise underreported idea, unique individual, or pressing item in mind, be sure to either drop us a line directly over on WPRPN.com or fire us a quick email via PirateOneRadio at gmail.com. We're always open to exploring fresh creative suggestions, intriguing guest ideas, cutting-edge discussion topics, and captivating themes. You can further embark on your own personal pirate journey by either liking, commenting on, subscribing to, or just following us via virtually any mainstream social media platform, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, or Minds.com. So don't forget to become engaged. Until we meet again out on the high digital seas, I'm your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Tally-ho.